All right. Well, let's uh, let's gavel this to order then. Just uh, in out of respect for your time, Anthony uh, Anthony Philip, I appreciate you joining me here today. You are in. Where are you right now? This instant. I'm at home, Eastern Florida, Lavantil, Trinidad and Tobago. Lavantil, Trinidad and Tobago, and um, you know, you and I have. I I was trying to think of like where where we first met, but I I think it was in Crossfire's yard, maybe. Nope. Where you tell me. Aha. Uh-huh. You didn't you didn't play in Brooklyn before that? Nope. That was my first meeting with you. Okay. I was supposed to play quarter corners, but yeah. What'd you end up Never playing? I forgot the time to finish learning this song. Oh, you didn't end up playing, okay. No. Okay, but I met. Okay, all right, all right. Well, I apologize for not remembering correctly. I have this image burned no in my. Problem. I have an image burned in my head of you playing quadraphonics in, like, in Brooklyn, and so uh-huh. yeah. Uh, and I've That's never. Uh, that was twenty sixteen. Okay. All right, out of the box, right? No, no, no. That would have been no, the scene, scene. scene. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let we, we can get into that. Let me. Let's. Can you tell me a little bit about just about yourself. I realize I don't actually know a whole lot about your upbringing. I know that you're related to Kendall and <laughs> Jerion and you're, there's in the, in the Williams clan in general, um, you're very close, closely tied to, but can you just tell me like ba- baby Anthony, like what was your upbringing like? How'd you get into playing pan and, and what was it like growing up in Lavantil, yeah. Trinidad? Yeah. As I said, I'm from Lavantil. I grew up in a shop, which was run by my dad. My mother lived in Brooklyn. In the parent home, I lived literally at school, too, away from Port Town Specialist Panyard. So I've been around town my entire life. Mm. But I started playing at the age of 11, no, 10. With a small group of us from around here, just youth. We used to play, well, we used to go to the panyard because we used to lime around the yard and make trouble like any other typical children. And this would be Desperado's yard? One, no, sound specialist. Oh, sound specialist, excuse me, okay. Yeah. And we have a guy from the yard by the name of John Campbell, better known as Mr. Morby. He took us, he literally took us under his wing and started calling us the um, Buccaneers. <laughs> I started teaching us how to play and whatnot, and I ended up falling in with some specialists in the year 2003. Or was it 2000? I think it's 2002. Mm-hmm. And my first panorama with them was 2000, well, no, was 2003, because my first panorama was with some specialists and invaders, ironically, in 2004. Mm-hmm. And then wasn't working out with me and some specialists and I left. And I went to solo pan night. Because mm-hmm. we were practicing for festival at the time. Mm-hmm. And I ended up I didn't end up staying. I I went to the practice for like one week and just fell into because I went to Woodbury Government Secondary School and the school used to use Invaders pan, the junior panorama. Mm-hmm. So, for the new invaders, was like 
Well, can I can I ask you like, so you played your first pan your first panorama in two thousand and four? Yes, my first panorama was in two thousand and four with well, my first large band panorama, I should say. Like my first panorama was actually two thousand and two thousand and three with Woodbrook okay. Government Secondary Junior Panorama. Okay, and how how old are you? That is, I'm thirty one at the time. I'm 31, 31 right now. Sorry. 31 right now. Okay, so I, I'm 41. Okay, so my first pan. It's just I'm trying to. I'm putting things in order in time as I experience them as a human being. And so, like my first panorama in Trinidad was 2002, with uh, Phase, uh, the do, do what you want. And it's it's just interesting. It's interesting to me that like I was in Trinidad in 2002. You were living in Laventille, playing with you know sort of. Anyway, anyway, I'm just. It's interesting to me that we're now friends and crossing paths. But I was very close to you at one point, and you know, in 2002, and we never knew each other. That's that's, that's just life. Yeah, nothing yeah. happens before it's time. So, well, let me let me let me ask you. I mean, Laventille. As somebody, I bring this up, me being in Trinidad in 2002, um, before the internet, before YouTube, before texting, there were no cell phones. <laughs> I was, you know, I didn't, I was by myself with a couple friends, but we didn't, there was no way to connect to anybody other than who was right around us. You know, we could get on a pay phone if mm -hmm. I wanted to, you know. And Laventille was the place that was like, do not go there. It's awesome because desperados are at the top of the hill. But do not go. So I just had in my head as a twenty-year-old kid that was just like, well, Laventille's a place, you know. And Andy Norell's writing tunes about this place called Behind the Bridge, and you know, and I'm that's that's how I'm learning about Laventille is through Andy Norell and some stories that I hear right in there. Can you tell me, like, what? How much of that is bullshit, and how much of it, as a kid who grew up there, like, what, what, what am I missing as as somebody who heard the stories as a twenty-year-old kid uh, from somebody who who actually lived there and grew up there? Because there's also, I mean, musically, aside from the, the horror stories I heard, like, there's, musically, it's a very culturally important place in terms of the history of Pan. So how all that's, uh, that's why I keep texting you, like, bro, you got to take me to Laventille because I want to, I just want to see that place, you know. So anyway, sorry, my question was, from your standpoint growing up, um, what was it like growing up in Laventille? Well, it was difficult at times because, as everybody knows, it's not it's public knowledge. It's not a heavy crime, mm -hmm. but it, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. And I won't say that only because I live here. Because I have a lot of friends, Kendall included, Jerry and included, Jerry included. A lot of the Brooklyn fraternity. They'd be like, boy, Lavatel and wrong by you and boy, you coming up there. And it so happened that when they come, they don't want, they don't want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of vibe now, but it have, it have a, it have a serious vibe to it. It have a love to it. I mean, it's not, stuff happens spontaneously, but that was them though, because, um, the place really, Changed a lot. It's not as bad as it was, and 
still, it was not as bad as people made it out to be because unless you want to end up in crime, you don't have to end up in crime because a lot of brilliant minds come out of Lavender. Mm-hmm. A lot of brilliant minds. And that's what that's the side of Lavender that people don't hear about. So, well, let me... It's a give and take. It's, it's, it's all about your perception of life, how you take it. Well, one of the things that I, I have been thinking a lot about in terms of like why why do I why do I personally just selfishly like if somebody was just like, okay, you have one group or culture of people that you can choose to live with for the rest of your life. Like of the entire world. Like all expenses paid, you can go, but you gotta live there for the rest of your life. There's ups and sides upsides and downsides to every culture in the world right you know and there's what i'm comfortable with there's what i grew up in there's something about and i and i don't want to put too broad a term but also too specific a term because i don't i'm ignorant to a lot of stuff but like the caribbean steel band culture in particular there's something about like you like you say vibe like what is i mean Steel Band grew out of places like Laventine. Like, what is that vibe? Can you put a more specific descriptor to why that vibe exists there and maybe not other places? What is it about? Because it's, it's, it's like a family. It's like a family. It's, it's like, all right, no matter how bad of a day you might have or how stressful, how it's, you could feel like, like your whole world crumbling around you. And just end up in the panyard or end up in a panyard or around your pants and it's like you don't have a key in the world. It, it's, I, I really don't know what it is. But it, it's serious, it, it's spiritual. It, it, it's more than just a cultural thing. It, it just takes all your worries away. Just for that point in time, it's like nothing else matters. Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm so. It don't have. It don't have a specific term for it. It don't. It don't. It's just a. It's, it's a serious vibe. Well, it's just a vibe. If I'm a, I mean, if you if you don't mind, like my experience coming to Panyards and both in Brooklyn and in Trinidad, um, you know, and it's not like every day in the Panyard was always perfect and there were never any problems, but like, like any family, like any family, right. In my experience, and I've spent a lot of time in different music communities, the new music community, orchestra communities, and I don't want to talk shade necessarily about those communities, but there was this sort of like, everybody in the room sized me up immediately. And then as soon as everybody sized me up, everybody's like, okay. And then like from that point on, it's like, yeah, I had to I had to pull my own weight. I had to show that I could play, like all of those things, but it was like... The, the BS meter on everybody in the pan yard was very finely tuned. And it's like as long as you came in the room with a genuine sort of attitude, you may not be the best player. Um, you may not have great time. But if you're there just like really slugging it out, then a total stranger in that yard is going to defend you when somebody comes in the yard to attack you or something. You know, like there's this weird yeah, camera. Yeah. And, and I, ha- I have to say, I haven't felt that specific approach in any other place other than in a panyard. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that, like, if I went to join an African drumming group in Ghana, I wouldn't feel a similar vibe. But am I am I am I saying anything that's that's accurate, or am I off base? Have I misread my last twenty some odd years in, in the band community? No, 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 no. That's that's a fact. That's a fact. Because you 
You can be in a panyard. <laughs> Sorry about that. That makes a bit. Um, you could be in a panyard. That's the barn you're going to as a stranger, just following me, and people just getting to know you and seeing you from coming in the yard. Mm-hmm. And someone comes to that yard or in the vicinity of that yard and talk to you too loud or in some type of way. And then that's going to raise that. People are going to be like, oh, wait, he didn't come to the bank? No, that person going to be a mad man. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's what I say. It's, it's, it's like a, one huge family. Well, it's just like how, okay, you may have family members that you don't know, but they just know that, okay, Josh is my family. That's it. Mm-hmm. They don't need to know you. They just know that you are family. Well, and one of the things, too, that's, I mean, that's always struck me about the steel band community um, is the diversity in the steel bands. And it hasn't always been that way. I mean, historically, that was, like, started with only men, you know. But, like, and now there's women in the bands. And, you know, you go to almost every band you're in, the bass section is dominated by women. Like, like it's, and and there's Indians, there's Chinese, there's there's African blacks, there's Caribbean blacks. Like, it's very mixed, and everybody figures out a way, not that every day's perfect, but figures out a way to coexist. And I've always been blown away by that, because when I, when I leave a panyard, it seems like the rest of society doesn't take a steel band's cue. Like, the rest of society is just sort of like, as soon as you leave a panyard, it's like, okay, the blacks over here, the Indians over here, the whites are over there, stay away from them, you know, like, and it's like, what the fuck? Like, why, why can't we just make everything a panyard? I mean, I'm, I'm being a little glib here, but um, I've always been sort of blown away by that with, with the steel band community. One second, Josh, one second, one second. Something. Uh, very sorry about that, my sister. Just asked the question about the business. All good. Um, wait, she just asked a question of you or me? No, 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 no. Shop. She, she took over. Oh, I, got it. Okay, all right. So what did you hear of the last thing I said? That's what I was just about to say. Repeat the last question. I was just going to say that, that I've always been struck by the diversity in steel bands. And right now, when in, especially in America, where diversity and racism and how people get along is, is really on the tip of everyone's tongue... There's a part of me that has mm-hmm. always, and, I, and I'm being a little glib here, but like when I leave, when I'm in a panyard, I kind of, not that race doesn't matter. Of course it does. It plays into everything we do. But it's, I've never felt like I had to hide or that I had to be something I wasn't. And never. as soon Nothing as I leave that. that panyard, I have that feeling. And I just, I'm like, why isn't every street just a panyard why can't we just make every street a panyard and treat everybody like that you know do we need to put a set of six base on every corner in america so that people don't don't act like assholes i mean um, that's been one of my things from probably the age of 16 17 life is so simple as we as a people don't make it hard mm. i want to say we meaning it's a broad 
so many reasons as a lead. Because the same love you could get in any organization like like Nope, you froze, Anthony. It could be white, it could be black, it could be pink. We all believe the same color. Sorry, you froze there for a second. I just heard the white, the pink, and we could all be the same color. Now, oh, yeah. now you go. Now you repeat it. No, that's, that's what I'm saying. It could be white, it could be black, it could be pink. We all believe the same color. So why fight over a color? Why divide ourselves over a color or a race or ethnicity? It, it, it just don't make sense to me. And that's why I'm so open-minded. I, I deal with everything. As it, what, with me, what you see is what you get. Well, I know I guess you would realize that. <laughs> I do, What yeah. you see is what you get with me. Well, I um, let me ask you. I have a question for you that might be a little... Um, personal, but there's some things that I've, I've noticed about you, you on social media, um, where in, in, in our private conversations about some pieces that you've been working on that we're going to be playing at NYU, mm -hmm. um, um, insecurity is something that comes up with you enough on, on social media where in, in our conversation where I kind of feel like I want to ask you, it's something I deal with a lot. Like I'm very insecure about almost everything I do. Um, I always think I'm the dumbest person in the room. Right now, I'm the dumbest person in the room. You know, like, and I'm curious for you, like, when you think about insecurity and or your insecurities, what, how has that sort of developed in your mindset as you grow? As a, it's just because even in the last six years that I've known you, I feel like I've sort of observed you making noticeable steps towards not not caring about your insecurities, but sort of actually caring about them so much that you fix them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, well, that, that's always been me, though, as a child. I always try to fix. I always want to know, is this good enough? Could I do better here? That, that's just me on the whole. I, I put a, 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 a target. I, I'm always looking on trying to be a better me in anything I do. Mm -hmm. Anything I do. That's just me on the whole. I'm always trying to improve, always trying to elevate. Because a lot of people may know me as Gum, because that's my area. Some invaders, plain pan, quadsman, open steps. Can I, can I just stop you for a, a second? The one thing I, can I also just say, the one thing I love about Trinidadian culture is the nicknames. Are, it's like nobody, they don't even, so like, let's just state the obvious. You have a bigger lip on the one side yeah. and, and there's a gum, a slight gum deformity. That's all it is, right? Yeah. And in Trinidad, they're just like, well, we'll call you gums. <laughs> you know, like, and it's yeah. like, if I have red, you know, if I get a sunburn, they're like, we'll call you lobster man. You know, like, <laughs> it's like the nicknames are so obvious. I love it. They don't even try to hide it, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, because I had a lot of different nicknames growing up. My first nickname was Cockut. Was what? Cockut. Um, that basically most people in Trinidad who own a parrot, that's the name of the parrot, Cockut. Outright. Okay. okay, all right. <laughs> Why did you get the parrot name? Oh, because just because of the of your again because of your teeth? 
Yeah, my overbite. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. See, it's like it's not even that inventive. Like, it's. Just... Yeah. That's, um, I just accept it. I I not make anything a problem. Well, but it's like you know, you know, Hugh Lloyd Yip Young. It's like he just calls it like everybody calls him Chinese man. It's like. Yeah, Chinese man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I did, if I called him that in different circuit context, somebody might think I was being a racist. It's like no, 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 no. It's just that's. Yep. I mean, yeah. maybe it is a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I don't yeah. know, but it's just, a, it's what he calls himself. Hey, hey somebody name just be ridiculous. I'll leave it on that. That's fine, that's fine. <laughs> well, can, it's just be ridiculous. Well, what are some of your specific, um, maybe we can sort of talk about your compositions because that, that to me has been some, a specific moment where you, you actually sort of get really insecure and are like, no, 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 no I don't know. You, you do it. You, you do it. What are some specific, why do you have those insecurities about your compositional instincts or, um, or again, maybe I'm misreading right. that stuff. That's what I say. I won't say it's insecurities because I know what I want, but from working with with you, especially that first experience in Crossfire, mm-hmm. which seems, I'm not sure if you remember, it happened this one night. You, you were drilling. The song was almost finished, but Kendall left to go to the airport, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And you were drilling apart, and you were just like, Okay, let me try this. You didn't, you didn't talk to Kendall. You didn't do anything. You just was like, offer your infant. Let's try this. And I was with Kendall come back in the yard. I was like, okay, just was at work. I like that. <laughs> I took a gamble. <laughs> and that's just me. Music. Yes, yes. As before I even started composing music, I work under a lot of different ideas. I have a lot of different ideas. Mm-hmm. And, like, when the money started arranging for Junior Panorama in Brooklyn, I used to be with the money a lot. And I'd be like, after he plays something for me, I hear the band play something, I'd be like, can you try this? Can you try that? And when I put it down, he used to be like, hmm. You know, I would have never hear that. So I always like an outside air. Mm. Outside air would, would always hear more than you might hear. Mm. Now, you, you may not always like the idea they may have, but I always look into insight, always trying to learn, always trying to improve. And this is, I, don't, I don't believe, my whole thing is why you feel I'm insecure. I don't believe you understand how high of a pedestal I have you Like... <laughs> well, you got to stop that, my friend. That's... <laughs> you got to knock that off because, you know... I may have a, I may no, have a high I, I pedestal, but my pedestal's buried like 30 feet into the ground, so you're actually only seeing the top two feet. <laughs> no, because I, I actually learned a lot of drilling techniques from you. Oh, okay. And that, Techniques I carry into computers when I drill. Sometimes I try stuff I learn from being it under you. So I'm always learning and proving, trying to be a better me. Well, I, I to perfect my craft. 
Well, I apologize if the word insecure was, was the wrong word because, you know, for me, I'm, I'm always curious to see other people learning about themselves because for me, sometimes that's how I, how I realize how I'm learning about myself and sort of to see you to be like, Anthony, what if you like took this section and just moved it over by two quarter notes, but left the other section where it is, you know, that's what composing is. I mean, it's a small part of it, but you know, and so like you taking that and doing it is just me being like, yeah, here's another tool that I saw some other composer do a million times, you know, like, and you can use it now. It's like, it was free to me. You can use it too. Um, but I'm also learning, like I've learned a lot of compositional tools by studying the scores of panorama tunes, by going back and wa- looking at the score of Jit Samaru's Pan and A Minor, or seeing um, Misbehave, and then comparing that to Wrong Again, or Hello by Kendall Marconotti, and sort of seeing if you'd lay them all over top of each other, like, okay, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of dark spots, there's a lot of similarities, but this is where this composer did something new. And this is where, you know, Jit Samaru's scores are more linear this way. Like, every line is coexisting, but there's a lot of lines happening. Bugsy scores are like this. Just blocks of sound. And not, and again, no value judgment, but that his scores are like that. Devon Stewart is a different vibe. Kendall Marconotti, different vibe. Like, And then when I'm talking to a composer in the contemporary music world who's like, experimental percussion quartets, like what I do, studied at Yale, and they come into the room, I'm now thinking in the same way that Smooth Edwards is thinking, but in a different, but with somebody writing for so percussion and it's like that cross-pollination to me is really fascinating and I'm kind of curious like what are the things you've learned the most about yourself as a composer now that we've had a whole you've written now a second tune that we're going to play in the fall pandemic blues like what are some of the things that you um you look back on on like two years ago Anthony composer and now you're like oh man if I had just knew that thing then Hmm. well I always uh, so before we step on the pandemic blues, I will go back to a skill from myself. So I'll always be anytime I'm in a quiet spot to be even in a panyard. I'll stand and I'll sort of just full of eyes. <laughs> and some people will be like not mentioning you here. I was like, nah, forget. <laughs> I always like I hear something. So they have this one night I was in we was in practice. I think I think Google was doing music. Yeah, I think Google was doing music and we was on a break. And I stand behind my phone and I just started to play. And somebody was like, hey, what's that? I don't know. <laughs> I just started playing. I was like, all right, cool. Let's practice, finish. I went back behind the pan and I was like, and I can't remember what I played. And I played again. And then one of my friends from the band, Elroy, he was kind of behind me because I was like, play these chords. And we held it to Then I gave the basses some notes, and then I started spreading some music, and I was like, this song in there, not knowing all the time that Kadesh, because you know Kadesh, mm-hmm. Kadesh just standing there quietly recording. And when I reached home, 
And I sent the recording, I was like, damn, you doing my hair part, no? I like all this stuff from him. So now I'm trying to work on it. I was like, okay, cool, because I've never composed a song in my life. I cannot read music, in case you never know. Mm-hmm. I think you told me that. I can't read, yeah, I can't read music, never composed a song in my life. I play around with no pain there, but... And so then she was like, you come up with the notes, you do your vibe, if there's anything, I'll score it out to you. I was like, okay, cool. And that song took me seven months to write. Mm-hmm. And when asked why the name, I keep saying, I have a piece of music in my head that I'm trying to get out. That was that always used to be my response. Mm-hmm. What's the name of that song? I have no name for it yet. I just have music in my head I'm trying to get out. So I was like, escape from thyself. Mm-hmm. So that was with me. And what well, sent it to you, sent it to Kendall, a couple of other friends, everybody liked it. And then I was like, hmm, and why you could play this? Huh? I was like, why are they trying to formulate? It's like the first time I'm trying to do anything, there's my first song. Yeah, it's something I, well, because I'm always my biggest critic. I'm my, mm-hmm. nobody can judge me. I'm, I'm my biggest judge. Mm-hmm. I was like, it was all right. So, and the was like, yeah, and why you could do this to be the And then in my mind, I was like, they probably want to something. Why don't I try continue doing this? And I started a couple other songs and just abandoned it. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm always doing something. I'm never in a spot where I have time to sit and think. And I'm always going, 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 doing something. So... Last year, when I came back from Tennessee, because our tour got cancelled because of Corona, came back from Tennessee and was home and really nothing shambles and everything started off wrong and then so he came and died. And that, that yeah, I, because me and Davi had a connection, we was on a level mm-hmm. where I was doing a podcast with Jerry on when Dougie passed. I got a, We both got a text from, I think, Kendall, maybe. Um, anyway, yeah, that was rough. That was... Yeah, yeah. And then I just sat down, and I started to write. I just started doing music, doing music. Because, as I said, Escape From Thyself took me... About eight, nine months. Mm-hmm. I wrote Pandemic Blue in six weeks. Well, this is something, this is why I asked, because um, I want to sort of like, let's forget about the the emotional trauma and experience that triggered this uh, artistic mm-hmm. outlet. And just think about like the, pro, like your brain working as a composer. Like, there's a data point here. We, there's two data points we can look at. The first one took you seven months. The second one took you six weeks. Now, sometimes that happens. Sometimes a great symphony comes out in a month. Yeah. Sometimes a great symphony takes seven months. But, like, for me, I would be like, well, what was easier for you the second time? Like, what? Like, it can't just be a traumatic experience that allowed the actual act of composing be better or easier for you. Like, so, what, for you, what was easier for you the second time? 
well, as I said, it was my second time around. It was the first song I was writing. Other than the dramatic mm-hmm. experience, mm-hmm. I already had had an idea mm-hmm. of, okay, you can do this, you can do that. Mm-hmm. You bring this here, you can bring that here. And as I said, I always have music in my head, mm-hmm. always. Like right now, I sit in here, music playing downstairs, and yeah, <laughs> my brain works like that. Mm-hmm. From since I'm a child. So, I, I believe, I believe me just being the second time around and having an idea of how it works maybe second time so much easier. And have you started on a third time? I have a voice recording of something I want to put down. I just haven't started it yet. Well, we're going to start, I mean, um, so in full disclosure, we did escape from thyself the year of Corona and we had it all basically worked up and then Corona hit and we had to shut down. Um, Pandemic blues were starting from scratch in the fall. And um, so we're going to, we'll have that back and forth process like we had before because I think Pandemic Blues is still in the original sort of like four part or three part thing that, that Kadesh or you sent me. But anyway, I'm really pumped to get that one going because what I saw in your, between the two pieces, and again, I'm not calling, I don't want to say like there was a, this one's better and this one was like your first piece. Like, that's not all I'm saying. What I'm saying is like, oh, this is a like, some things are shorter. It's like it's a slimmer version of Anthony. It's like, oh yeah, you've you've th- you've exercised th- some of these ideas out, so you you're more you're more efficient. And I was like, awesome. You know who else gets more efficient when they compose? Bugsy <laughs> and Kendall and Beethoven and Brahms and like all the other fuckers who we talk about. Like that's that's what happens. And it's like lifting weights. It's like dieting. It's like all of the shit. You can't just do it twice and be like, why am I not seeing results? Like you have to keep working at it. And I'm really pumped to see you. I'm really pumped to start this one in, in the hopes that it sort of makes your next one or two. And arranging for a band in Trinidad. I mean, why are you not doing that? I actually... Well... As, as we had a discussion before this, this entire interview, mm-hmm. I'm a very, very shy guy. Like, extremely shy. <laughs> which is what, which I, 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 I understand why you say that. I totally understand why you say that. But I just feel like the minute you're in, you get to know you, like, for th- like the first three seconds into getting to know Anthony, it's like, that shyness disappears, bro. And I like, like, so I'm bummed that you lead with it because if you were just a fireball of Anthony everywhere you went, good. <laughs> no, but um, I do arrange. I never arrange on a competition scale, but I do a lot of inside music. Uh-huh, well, I mean, you, you mentioned that you don't read music, um, and I'm curious, do you have an interest in learning how to? I actually started. You did? When I was 17. Okay. I did read one with, um, well, Ben Jackson used to teach me. Yeah. And if you have, if you have a certain amount of conversation with him, he will tell you as a day. He's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I would start and stop, start and stop, start and stop, and I don't know. 
Yeah, he he won that always disappointed when that conversation started. Well, what? Like, hmm? Well, what? Huh? I mean, this is something. This is a conversation that's come up enough in sort of different different circles in the pan world, and it's and again, there's no value judgment here. Like uh, in Trinidad, it is objectively true that there are eight year old kids who can play learn a panorama in two rehearsals <laughs> and play it on the yeah. third day if they wanted to. All by ear. I cannot do that. That is true. I could sight read a panorama, however, the day of the show, and with about 20 minutes of practice ahead of time, probably play 90% of the notes correctly. Okay. Now, that's just because that's where my skill set lies. It doesn't mean I'm a better musician. That's just like if I flew in on a Friday and had to play panorama on a Saturday and somebody handed me the score and I had a music stand and not enough time to memorize it, and I had one rehearsal of the band, I have a skill set where I could sight-read that panorama. I don't want to. That would be terrifying. <laughs> but, but, but I have that <laughs> skill set. And I'm curious, like, not that we want to trade one for the other. I'm more of a, like, yes, and. Like, if, if somebody had, like, both. Like, Liam Teague is a good example. I think Liam, <laughs> Liam maybe can do that. But, like, for you, like, do you... Do you, is it scary? I mean, what, what is, what is the thing that's stopping you from, from wanting to learn or continue to learn how to read music? Or is it that you just don't need it? Like, that's also totally fine. Nothing, no, nothing is stopping me. I, because I actually want to further my reading skills and my theory skills. So it's just, I haven't jumped at any opportunity as yet, but I actually I have to start back. That's just a, that's just a personal goal of mine. Well, hi, I'm Josh Quillen. I know how to read music, and I'm a teacher. And I can't teach you how to learn by ear, bro. Don't come to me for that. I'm not your guy there. But if but after done after you're done studying with me, you could have a score and stand in front of invaders and be and follow them a note by note with everything that's being played. Not overnight, but it's going to take a second. But you know you. What I'm saying is I'm here for you if you want to if you if you want to hop on Zoom sometime and, and do some some basic sort of like like scoring things out and sort of showing you what I'm doing and how you can do it. Because then the other thing too, bro, is then you're empowered to do it on your own. You don't need to rely on anybody. And then you're you're a self self propelled machine. So anyway, I'm just saying I'm 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 always here to help on that front if you ever wanted to, to dive into it. No problem. That's another discussion we have to have soon. Now, my only requirement, though, is that it's done over a large bottle of white oak and bacon shark in Trinidad. Can we do that? Come on. <laughs> Come on. That's elementary watching. I can't do the punching, and I'm not a Babash guy, bro. Like, I, I'm, uh, I'm a straight down the pike white oak and coke. Are we not friends anymore? That. Are we not friends anymore? Oh, no, no, no. Okay, I'm, all right. I'm, all right. I'm an ambassador of White Oak. Come okay. on, have you heard of Jerrion? Jerrion Williams? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's who turned me on to White Oak. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that is not a problem. All right. Well, hey, I, I have... You said nothing that I would. I have one final question for you, uh, and then I'll let you go. I've already robbed you of 45 minutes of your, your evening here, and I want to let okay. you get back to the party in the basement. Um, the... For a, for a foreigner like myself, like I, I, I think I mentioned the time me going to Trinidad in, 20, in 2002 and sort of mm-hmm. being thrown in the deep end by Cliff Alexis was sort of my 
the person who vouched for me a lot, uh, two folks in Toronto, like Bugsy and Mikey in the, in the rhythm section of phase and, uh, skip and like all these other folks. But I was thrown in the deep end when I got there. Like, I was just like, you're standing here. And for two weeks, nobody talked to me. Like, it was just sort of, I mean, they, people were nice, but it was like, I was just learning the part. And then it just like the floodgates opened. And from that point on, I felt like family and it changed my worldview. It changed, um, I'm making this about me, but it's my podcast. So I'm going to do that. Like it really, it changed the way I am as a human being for the better in almost every way. I hurt my shoulder at Maracas Bay though. That was bad. I still feel it. Um, I got hit by a wave and I still have tightness in my back from that moment. Um, what advice now that there's like, so the, you like there was no podcast I could watch as a, you know, a, a sophomore in college to talk to hear a guy like you be like this is what Trinidad's about here's why you should come I was just somebody told me it was okay you know (laughs) like and that was it you know what advice if a college kid is watching this and is just has the inkling like you know I played pan in high school you know I grew up in the middle of Oregon and it was just like an all-white high school played pan you know and I love it and it was an awesome experience just didn't have a lot of exposure to the culture but I've heard about going to Trinidad as being an important thing what is the, like, what, you're an ambassador for Trinidad too, in addition to White Oak, like, what, what should the thought process be of that 20-year-old Josh Quillen when they're thinking about coming to Trinidad? How should they prepare themselves? Who should they look to? Why should they do it? Okay. Other than Trinidad, you know, I picked wonderful, awesome, all the great words in, 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 in the dictionary, place to be. Um, why they should they do it? The experience, you could never pay for that experience. The experience is a memory you are going to carry to your brain. It's just awesome. It's opportunity. Great food, great vibe, great alcohol, great music. And cut. That was awesome, bro. Let's do one more take. <laughs> Just <get. laughs> send it to Caribbean Airlines so that they can put it up on their website. Um, no, bro, that was I, I. I. I feel like I've made it about myself and and sort of my experience. But I and we talked a lot about the sort of familial. You mentioned family. Like I've never been to Laventil, but I know. I know of the energy you speak. Um, And I think the only thing I would add on to it is like one of the things I think I learned when I got to Trinidad is how important, I don't want to say honor culture, but the the, the vouching for somebody. You're in someone else's home. And as soon as someone says you can take your shoes off or you can sit on the couch, like, you know, those sorts of things, like. You're, you're in the club and you're just building those relationships and having a friend, somebody you know, and that could be me, it could be you, it could be whatever, like really lean on those relationships and trust those relationships. And if you trust those relationships, you will be generally speaking, not that again, not that you'll have all great days. There's going to be a day where you're like, what did I just see? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and, and I've had several, every time I go to Trinidad, I'm just like, my head spins around sometime and I'm like, whoa. I'm going to put that one in the bank because I've never, I never imagined that being a thing. But at the end of the day, it's totally worth it. And I think the relationships I have with people still, if I walk to phase two's yard right now, I think Mikey 
in the iron section would recognize me. And that is a thing that that's not lost on me. That's important as human beings. And I, I think it, anyway, I just, that's the button I wanted to put on what you said. That's the that's the la- that's the sort of tail that I wanted to put on the end of what you said is just like trust your relationships with people. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because the relationships you end up building as as a quote unquote foreigner when you come to Trinidad or even when I come to Brooklyn, mm-hmm. it's relationships that last a lifetime. It it's completely genuine. It's, it's a love for just. I don't know how to explain it. It's just, yeah. That's life. Someday, humans will figure out the words for it, and it's okay that we don't have them now. I don't have them either. It's you know, it's just a very, it's yeah. an, it's like a, I don't know if you, I'm secretly. I know we're still writing our own story, so. I'm st- I'm like secretly obsessed with um like the universe and cosmology and astrophysics, and there's a thing out there called dark energy that just is 95% of the observable universe and we don't know and we don't know what it is. And I feel like when we're trying and maybe maybe that's what we're trying to describe there's some energy that we can't actually like it actually makes up most of our life. That energy, that love, it's, that care it, it, is 95 it makes, it makes sense when you're in a moment but it just can't explain it. Right. And so just if you, I hope everybody gets a chance to experience it uh, in their life. But Anthony, this has been really great, and uh, my door is always open. We can chat anytime uh, about anything, and maybe we'll do a sort of pandemic. We've had four rehearsals on pandemic blues, and I think I'm not doing your music very well. Podcast <laughs> where where I confess all my sins to you, but. Um, I, I think it's going to be great. Um, and like I said, it's going to be up on a program for the following May with um, Gustav Holst's The Planets, arranged by Mia Gormandy Benjamin, and uh, as well as some other, we haven't programmed the other sort of more traditional Calypso or Soka or Panorama tunes just yet, but it's going to be a good program. So I'm glad you get, we got to get your butt up here. Yes, yes, yes. I'll be good. Okay. <laughs> well, I will be in Trinidad in January or in February, if, even if I have to swim. I've told Junior Regrello that I'm going to get a raft, and I'll just he's come down to Point Fortin, and I'll be I'll be rowing my way up. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, hey man, in the meantime, stay healthy and stay safe, and um, I really can't wait to see you in person and and sort of. Well, as you know, my door is always open. I have a curry corn soup and a nice bottle of white soup when you reach. Can we just sit here? Can we just sit here like this for a few minutes? <laughs> and a hug, I hope, Anthony. I still am, am recovering, yes, recovering from that 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 uh, drag hug that we had uh, in Trinidad. It was amazing. So, well, hey man, stay safe and healthy, and I will look forward to chatting with you again soon. Okay, buddy. No problem. You take care, Jeff. All right, see you, buddy. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out, liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on, uh, and so percussion, as well as at NYU and Princeton. 
Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner builder. Um, just a really nice guy. Very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in Pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check them out. And finally, Aliandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan-centric. You can check him out at mangochowclothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. MangoChowClothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.